Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, welcome back to Women at Acme. I'm very excited for today's episode with Hannah Stella. We recorded it a few months ago. And I just feel like this is the perfect time for it to air because it is seriously Venus retrograde and everyone is going through breakups right now. Like all the celebrities, so many people I know, and it's just been a hard time. And I feel like Hannah has good insight on, you know, how to move forward and what to do for yourself and how to put yourself first after a breakup. And I want to talk a little bit about that also, especially breakups when you are in your late twenties, early thirties and older, I feel like it's so important to literally only focus on yourself during that time. It's not that friends don't care about you. They just have like a lot going on in their lives. It's not like when you were 20 and you can just rally the crew and go out and have like the night of your life. It's much more difficult to get everyone to support you when you go through a breakup a little bit later on. And I went through one at 29 and I thought it was so important to, you know, stay focused on myself, meaning like not dragging friends into this with me, but instead, you know, focusing on what I can cultivate as an individual, like going on dating apps and meeting people on my own, being proactive and including myself in things. I think a huge problem, and I see a lot of friendships deteriorate because of this, is like the single friend being like, I'm never included in things. And I'm not saying like, I'm not blaming the single friend, but I'm just saying like, you have to be proactive and no one's thinking about you. And that's an unfortunate reality. And I've had to come to terms with that too. Like if you want to do something, if you want to make a plan, like you have to be proactive. You can't victimize yourself. Oh, I'm single. I can't, you know, do anything. And I think something that Hannah did, which is really cool is she, you know, started anew and she went on this boat and she did all these interesting things. And, you know, some could be like, oh, well, that's like, you know, running away from the situation, but it's like, you do whatever works for you. And all breakups are different. And some really do feel like a divorce, whether they are one or not. So you have to like temperature check yourself. Like when I went through my breakup at 29, I definitely felt like I had mourned the relationship already. So I didn't feel like I needed to go discover myself. I didn't feel like I had to really heal and wait to get back into the dating world. But sometimes people do. And that's really normal and 
really okay. Also, a few questions had come up that were like, how do you date when you're still heartbroken? And the thing is like heartbreak, you know, it comes in waves and it, it only heals with time. So it's not going to heal with you just like sitting around. I actually think that dating while you're heartbroken is a good thing. I think that, and I've said this before, but like you only really fall for somebody if you genuinely really like that person. And are there going to be nights where you go home and you cry yourself to sleep because you had a horrible date and now you miss your ex? Definitely. And that happens all the time. And then you second guess yourself and you say, well, should we have broken up and should we have this? And that's a normal stage of a breakup. Like that doesn't mean that you need to get back together with them. It means that you haven't had a new connection. And that's really how the heartbreak goes away with time and new connections. That's the only way. Another thing on restarting after a breakup and going forward into a new relationship is like, what did you have? What was a trait that you had or, you know, a pattern that you don't want to bring into your next relationship? And like, what can you leave in the past? And I feel like you really have to know that about yourself, whether it's like you were a little judgmental of your partner's habits or you, you know, didn't know how to pick your battles or whatever it is. Like, what are you leaving in the past and not bringing into a new relationship? Definitely knowing that is so important. I think therapy is always a good idea. Being more self-aware every relationship brings more self-awareness. I really do believe this. And it also brings you closer to knowing exactly what you want. So hopefully, you know, moving forward, you're not going to settle for something that really sucks and doesn't get better, right? You're going to, you're going to go for something that you don't have to change. And like, that's the best feeling when you get into a relationship with someone that you don't feel like you have to change. Like that is the the really good foundation. Okay. And now somebody asked this and I am so excited to address it because this is like an epidemic. They said, why do guys in their thirties ghost after a great date and weeks of texting while on vacation? I'll tell you why. And that's because it was only one date. And then there was all this texting, but there wasn't an actual connection there. Like there wasn't an established, I know you and I like you. And that's why the texting thing can be tough. I think also, obviously, summer is really hard when you're traveling and you're dating and whatever, like that's never going to be perfect. But I do think that if you go on like one date with a guy and then he's like blowing up your phone while he's on vacation, I would be a little bit wary. I, you know, I always say like, it's nice to text every day, but I think like if he doesn't know you, then like he has nothing to kind of hold, like come back to you with, you know, because like he's not going away having all these feelings for someone he went on one date with. And I think men, especially like they only really fall for someone, get to know someone after at least two dates. And so I think that this guy is probably an asshole, but he ghosted because he didn't really know you. He probably met someone else on vacation. Maybe he was texting multiple people on vacation and that's not your fault. But what you should do moving forward is 
not put any stake on this being something and continuing to date and continuing to find a connection other than this person. Because I know that like, we're all so guilty of like putting someone on a pedestal and getting excited about a first date, but you really have to be careful because this is like the typical, like they're gonna, you know, we're so excited about this person. We're texting all the time, but we don't even know each other. So be wary of those. And then the last two subjects, and I'm not going to say much on them because we have two episodes coming up, but the first question was how to have more sex in a long-term relationship. And the other one was to talk about the three stages of relationships. We have a whole episode coming out with a therapist on the three stages of relationships. And I think that you guys will love it. So I don't want to say much about that, but obviously there's like the honeymoon stage. There's the stage after that and the stage after that. And you'll see. And then for having more sex in a long-term relationship. We have a great episode coming out with Shan Boudram, who's like the queen of sex and dating. And she's so good. And so I'm going to let her kind of take most of it. But basically we talk about how like it's hard to have sex when you're not feeling sexy. And oftentimes when you're in a long-term relationship, you don't feel sexy. Like things are new or, you know, not exciting and, and it's hard. So I think in order to have more sex in that relationship, like you, it's all about how you feel about yourself because like your partner can only tell you you're beautiful so many times, but like if they're your long-term partner and you hear it all the time, it's not going to all of a sudden hit you in a different way. You know, you have to feel good about yourself. And something Shan talks about is like, she loves the way her body looks. Like she, you know, has a lot of confident, physical confidence. And I feel like that's where it comes from. Like when you feel sexy, you want to have sex. And so I think it's going to a place, like finding a place where you are feeling, feeling yourself. Like it all starts with how you're feeling about yourself. And I think we know this, like we've seen this in our friends' relationships. We've seen this on relationships on reality TV. Like it, if you're not happy, like that reflects in your partnership and it, affects the physical stuff. It affects this. I mean, obviously Steven and I are struggling right now. He had back surgery and like we, you know, have not been really able to do a lot of physical stuff and it's been hard and like we're trying to connect in other ways, but there's always going to be times where it's not going to be perfect. You're not going to be having like regular sex all the time. Like that's just part of a long-term relationship. And I get so many poll questions that are like, oh my God, is it a red flag? We went on a weekend trip and we didn't have sex. It's like, no, it's it's not a red flag. But if it's every single time that you go away together, you don't, or it's a pattern. And like, when was the last time you have gotten, you know, gotten busy with each other and enjoyed each other, then that's something to be like, okay, why hasn't this happened in so long? So Anyway, I'm very excited for you to hear this episode with Hannah Stella. And just a reminder that we have such an exciting camp weekend coming up. If you haven't signed up yet, all the information is at wemetatacme.com. Sign up for camp. It's going to be so much fun. We've got some great girls and guys coming and the facilities are gorgeous. We have a band, a DJ, pickleball, tennis, kayaking, paddleboard, all the lakeside activities, you name it, we have it. And I'm really excited about it. And I hope to see some of you there.
If you're new to the work game or you're just someone who's going to more conferences or more work events and realizing that you don't have your work clothing game on point, Indochino is the place for you. And they believe that you shouldn't fit your clothes. They should fit you, your body, your personality, and your style. Because finding the perfect fit is way more than just your measurements. It's how you show the world who you are and how you show the world that you're a serious business person. Because if you saw Romy and Michelle, you know that the businesswoman special is only for women who are dressed like businesswomen. Guys, if you haven't watched that movie, you absolutely need to. Anyway, Indochino is amazing. I'm obsessed with my pants from Indochino. I'm obsessed with my button down from Indochino. Everything that I've gotten from them fits me like a glove. Every suit is made to fit your exact measurements. You, you know, take a quiz and you tell them your measurements, all the things, and you work with an style expert there that creates an outfit made just for you. There's hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from, quality European wools, linens, and cotton. So you can even have a suit that's perfect for the summer, you know, a little linen breezy, breezy suit. It's amazing. And I'm personally very into the Brighton Czech Sage pants right now. I think they are giving. They are giving. And I just think that they're very chic. So if you haven't checked it out, go to Indochino.com. Find your perfect fit and stand out in style with a custom suit from Indochino. For 10% off, you can use promo code ACME when you visit Indochino.com to book a showroom appointment or place an order. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com with promo code ACME. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acme. I'm so excited to be here with Hannah Stella. Hi. Hi, Lindsay. So I always start the podcast with this one question. What is your favorite romantic gesture? So I I have one, but it's not a traditional romantic gesture. The most romantic experience that I've had is my best friend's mom is sick. She has Alzheimer's and she needs sort of nurses and stuff. And I was staying with her with an ex of mine and we went to go get our hair done. And there was like a three hour gap where she was supposed to be home to take care of her mom, but we were still at the hair place. And he completely went and sat and watched TV with her mom and made her dinner. And her mom hadn't eaten like a real meal in like months. And she ate three bowls of the pasta he made. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah, I just think that there's something about when somebody cares about you. And so they also take care of the people that you care about. That feels very authentic to me. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. I feel like it's so important how they treat the people that you love as well. Like, I remember growing up, I met one of like I was it was like when we were young and having boyfriends for the first time. Mm -hmm. And my friend's boyfriend was not nice to me. And I remember I was like, that's so not okay, you know? Mm-hmm. But like, you can't really tell your friend that. Eventually she figured out that he wasn't a nice guy. But like, you have to pay attention to how your partner treats your friends too and your yeah. family and, and all of that. Yeah, and I think it's definitely sort of cumulative because sometimes your partner can sort of catch on to that there's somebody in your life who isn't maybe right to be around your energy at this right, time. Right. So if it's isolated, you can kind of look into that, I think. Mm-hmm. But I think overall, the way that your partner treats your friends and family is sort of a more authentic view of their character. 
Yeah. Yeah, I see that. Okay, let's back up a little bit and talk about who Hannah is for people listening who don't know. How old are you and where are you originally from? I am 32 and I am from Texas. I was born in Dallas and I grew up in Waco, but I've been in New York for 14 years. Okay, amazing. And I think, so we had talked a little, we had talked like, was that a year ago that we spoke? It was almost a year ago. Okay, so we spoke almost a year ago and I was like, will you come on the podcast? And you were like, things are fresh in my life. I don't think I'm ready. And so now, like a week ago or whenever we had spoken, you were like, I think I'm ready. What changed? I think so. I I got divorced last year Mm -hmm. and you reached out to me sort of right after I mentioned online that my ex-husband and I were (laughs) celebrating separating. (laughs) (laughs) Separate, celebrating separating. Yeah. And I just felt like I'd gotten this advice actually from somebody else that sometimes you need some distance from things before you speak about them, especially publicly. And Mm -hmm. I just wanted to make sure that it was a conversation that I could have honestly, but also being respectful of the people who are in my life and who have been in my life in the past. And I, I didn't want to say something from a very emotional place very publicly that I would regret saying. Yeah. And I think I would have. I'm glad I waited. Right. I think that's totally fair. Going back, how well, you you mentioned, obviously, you're married and, and you guys separated or, or divorced. What was that relationship like? Like, how did it become a relationship where you decided to get married? Because like you're 32, I'm 32. I imagine you were much younger when you got married. I got married when I was 27, almost 28. Mm -hmm. We'd been together for a while. I don't know exactly how to answer that. I'm happy to answer it, but I don't know. I think I always felt, and I don't, I don't regret feeling that way. And I think, I think to an extent, I feel that way now that about two years, two and a half years is enough time. If you are of kind of appropriate age to get married, to Mm -hmm. decide whether or not you want to do that. And so We'd talked about it from very early on in our relationship that we saw sort of the potential there. And um, he proposed when we'd been dating for about two and a half years and we actually eloped. So I got married about six weeks after I got engaged. And that was sort of how, I mean, we were very on the same page about a lot of things. I think we were, turns out, on different pages about some other things, but we had a lot of the same hobbies. We had similar points of view in terms of lifestyle. He is still one of my favorite people to to speak to and have conversations with. We, of course, don't talk that often. But when I do speak to him, you know, he's, he's really smart. He's really interesting. He has a way of thinking about things that I think is very exceptional where he doesn't take in any of the noise or any of other people's opinions. And he's very good at looking at the facts and then coming up with his own opinion. And sometimes I agree with those and sometimes I don't, but it's it's really interesting to hear him talk about it. It's very funny. Mm-hmm. And when we spoke, I, of course, one of my questions was, when's your birthday? I remember you telling me you're an Aquarius. Mm-hmm. When is his birthday? He's a Scorpio. Oh, wow. Very interesting pairing. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know his birth time. I don't know the rest mm-hmm. of his chart. Mm-hmm. Do you know your rising and moon? Yeah, I'm a Cancer moon and a Virgo rising. Okay. I'm a Virgo rising. I love, love a Virgo I rising. I love that for us. Yeah. And you're an air sign too, right? I am. I'm a Libra. Yeah. 
So we have that in common. I love that. Okay, so going back, so you said you guys had a lot in common. You he proposed, you eloped. Where did you elope, by the way? City Hall. Oh, amazing. Oh, I think I actually saw one of your TikToks and your outfit um, yeah, for the elopement, and it was gorgeous, by the Thank way. Thank you. Sunny. Yeah, I love that dress. So you're then married. And then how do you determine like your roles as husband and wife at that time? I like, you know, just of course, I don't know you personally yet, but like I saw some TikToks and it seemed like you were playing the role of like the stay at home kind of parent but not parent because you weren't a parent but you know what I'm saying like stay-at-home wife that kind of thing I wasn't I wasn't working and we had a traditional dynamic in that sense which I don't think that there's inherently a problem with and I think in terms of determining roles it was sort of I had a circumstance which I actually feel a little bit I don't feel ambivalent about it for myself but I feel ambivalent about it in terms of TikTok where I I was not online in a sort of professional, semi-professional capacity at that time. But I had been a stay-at-home girlfriend, but it was because of sort of just circumstances. It wasn't something that I aimed to do. And I don't think that it's generally something that people should do. And so I became a little bit of like the poster girl for this lifestyle that I never really felt like I was endorsing. Though, if everybody else thinks that I was, then like there's, there's something to that, you know? Right. But so I think our roles were pretty, pretty well defined when we got married. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What was, if you're comfortable sharing the circumstance in which you became like somebody who wasn't working, did you have a job and then you no longer were working at a company? Yeah. I, um, so what happened was I had been working in wholesale sales. I sold sleep and intimates wholesale. So to department stores Mm -hmm. and Amazon and things like that. And even the kind that I did is the kind of kind of fashion, kind of apparel that does pay a little bit more, but it's still not enough. Right. And so I'd taken the LSAT thinking that I was going to go to law school and I did well on the LSAT. And so I started LSAT tutoring on the side to make more money. And my work environment was just my my full time job work environment was just not a good environment. I really liked a lot of my bosses, but there was just something I quit with no notice and three other people quit within two days on either side of me with no notice from our team. Like that's, wow. that was like yeah. the vibe, but I quit knowing that I was making more money tutoring than I was working my full-time job. So I, I quit and I was tutoring not full-time in terms of hours, but I was making a full-time amount of money. And then when I started dating my ex-husband, I had been looking for a job and he had a a big trip to Italy planned where he was going for like, I think six or eight weeks. And he invited me to go. And so I decided to go and put the job on hold. I was still LSAT tutoring. And then we traveled. We traveled a lot. We traveled about 190 days a year. We did a lot of traveling. Mm -hmm. And so I just sort of gradually took on fewer and fewer LSAT clients. And then it just stopped making sense Mm -hmm. to do them just because I was not able to, I mean, and that was my choice. That was my choice to prioritize my relationship over my career. Mm -hmm. But I never really thought of it as a career. Like I really like tutoring. I really liked the kinds of kids that I taught and I like teaching logic. But I never thought that like long-term I was going to 
be in test prep. And so I just sort of gradually took fewer and fewer clients and sort of stopped. Yeah. At what point did you decide, I'm going to make a TikTok? Literally a couple of people told me to make them. I had not an Instagram following, but you know how you're, you're about my age, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you know how there was a time like five or six years ago, I think you were probably already like big on Instagram, but as you finish school, high school, college, like move away from home, different places, Mm -hmm. you sort of have all of these people who follow you and who you follow, who you know, and who are your sort of friendly acquaintances, but who are not your friends. Right. Or they are your friends, but you know what I mean? Like not your friends in the sense that like you're texting and updating them about your, yeah. Yeah. And people were like, thought that my like stories were funny and stuff. And they were like, oh, you should make TikToks. You should make TikToks. And so I just made one one day, a day in my life. I lived in New York and Sun Valley at the time. And I did a day in my life in Sun Valley. And I didn't know what I was doing or how to do it. But the first one went pretty viral. Mm -hmm. And so then I just sort of felt like, okay, this is embarrassing. And everybody who I know has seen it. And so like, I might as well just kind of keep making them and see if it turns into something. Yeah. So going back, I know people are so fascinated with relationships and why they work or don't work. You had said like, you guys did have a lot of a lot in common. And then you made a comment like, well, I guess not that much in common or something like that towards the end. So was there one particular incident that was like eye opening for you or your ex to be like, you know, I don't know that this is a match anymore. Or was it kind of like we got married young and we are different and changing? No, I think it was more gradual. And I think that we did not have the communication that we needed to have to make it work. And I don't know whether we could have, but I I think that there were a few, a few things that we were not on the same page about, but we were having a lot of trouble hearing each other. Mm. Did you try couples therapy? No. Mm-hmm. Like looking back, kind of like hindsight 2020, is there anything that like you wish you would have done? Maybe couples therapy, maybe something else? Yeah, I think we probably should have gone to couples therapy. And I think, I think it's important not to set... I think it's very difficult to change a precedent that you've set in your relationship. And so I think if you get married, you shouldn't start doing something every single day that you don't want to do every single day for the next 50 years. Do you mm. know what I mean? I and do, I know but like, give me can... an example of one. Oh, I don't like, like you shouldn't start like you shouldn't start like giving back scratches every morning because then you're going to have to give back scratches every yeah, morning exactly, forever. Exactly. I mean, uh-huh. I'm not saying it was that, but exactly. Yeah, like yeah, if yeah. you if every single night you give your husband because he's your like new husband and you're so excited, yeah. like a 20 minute foot massage, you kind of that's like a way of showing love and it's nice and you should show your partner love. But whenever you make anything like that part of your routine, it becomes very difficult to rebalance it. That's Does that true. Make sense? Yeah, no, that's true. Like, I'm curious, did you guys have vows? Because I know you got, you eloped. Yes. I mean, we had the vows at City Hall. And yeah. then I, um, okay. <laughs> um, I wrote my own and uh, put them in at Christoffel Frame. So I think. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Thanks. Take, what? Do you want to take a second? No, it's okay. Okay. 
I was just going to like validate what you said and yeah. that like, you know, in my vows, like I had vowed that I would do something and <laughs> yeah. now I do have to do it every do single it day. I know. It's, it's a lot. It's mm-hmm. a lot. And like you guys, you know, you made that decision to separate mm-hmm. and kind of like what was your first step after that, that you were like, I have to do this, you know, to make myself feel good again. Like there are so many people listening who have gone through divorce. And I think it's probably so helpful to just hear like, where do you start? Yeah. I mean, I think I was in a situation that was very unique in the sense that I was, had not been working and had very little sort of structure to my life that I needed to maintain for better or for worse. And also some amount of resources that not everybody going through a divorce has. And Mm -hmm. so I traveled for a year. I spent like four months in South Africa and Mozambique. And then I bought a sailing catamaran and lived in the Bahamas. So I don't think that that's, well, that's like, but that's like an eat, <laughs> that's an eat, pray, love. If I've ever heard one. Yeah, it sort of was. And I wasn't, I wasn't intending it to be that. I think that actually, if I could do it, I don't know. I, I, I feel conflicted about it because I've just moved back to New York and I think it's the right place for me to be right now. I also think that in a way it would have been really nice actually to, rent an apartment in New York and be closer to my friends. I have really, really close friends. I feel really fortunate to have such close friends, especially I've made many of my best friends in my late 20s and early 30s, which I I think is very fortunate because I know a lot of people can struggle to find friendships Mm -hmm. later, not later in life, but you know what I mean. Yeah, of course. Um, And I think on the one hand, it may have been good to settle in a place that was familiar for a little bit. But I also think that there was, I learned so much about myself and I, I have seen so many things and done so many things. I literally, when I was in Mozambique, I was with three other people and the car that we were in, we were driving back from the only restaurant because we were in a very rural kind of beach area and our car broke down and we slept in the car in a game reserve. And I'm like, what a oh crazy. Oh my God, that's like, wild. Yeah, what a crazy like life experience. And we had to like get a new part from the car like through the, I mean, and so I had a lot of really cool experiences and I don't know that I could have like spent another six months or a year in New York and then gone yeah. and done that now. But I do think that I, I was really unhealthy last year. And I think I was kind of putting off a lot of like mental processing that I've done more over the last like four or five months. So I don't know that what I did was the right answer, though I don't regret doing it my way. Yeah. I suppose that I would say if you're going through like a divorce or a separation or a big, just a big breakup, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily harder than breaking up with a boyfriend you've had for eight years or whatever. Right, I've, right. I've never had that. But I, I think you just have to kind of allow yourself to do what you want mm-hmm. and like try not to worry too much about if other people think that it's like, I don't know. Yeah. I think a lot of people were like, don't you feel like this is a little like 
erratic and emotional. And I was like, yeah, I just went through like the biggest trauma. Like, of course, right. I'm being a little erratic and emotional. Right. And like, right. I, I feel still like if if somebody is going through something like that and they're not at their very best, like, of course not. And if you are judging that, that is your issue and not theirs. And mm-hmm. of course, there's like a limit, like you can't. And yeah. I didn't have children or anything that I needed right. to like stay stable for. But yeah. I, I think you just have to give yourself permission to kind of like unravel to redo the braid. Yeah. You mentioned not having children. And I like just for some background on the things that I believe in, I feel like when you break up like cold turkey, unless you have children, mm-hmm. you mentioned that you still communicate with this person. What like is the reason that you think that that's beneficial versus like a cold turkey and like I'm here to be proven wrong? No, so I actually am much more of a a cold turkey person generally. Mm -hmm. We got divorced very, very quickly. We decided to separate and we were fully legally divorced fewer than 100 days from the first time one of us brought up a separation. And that, I don't think that that's the right way to separate. Mm -hmm. I understand why we did it and I don't want to get into like the details of of what we were both sort of saying and deciding. But I, I think that that's just made it sort of a logistical reality. Yeah. Like my stuff was still. Right. So you, like I, you I, have to communicate still about stuff because you just moved out of this house. Yeah, I wasn't. I, to be clear, I wasn't living there. Mm-hmm. I did not move my stuff out because I was traveling. And now I have a place that I'm living. And mm-hmm. so I moved my stuff out. But like things like that, like yeah, you have yeah, to communicate. Yeah. Like, of course. Yeah, that makes sense. What? is the reason that you decided to not change your name back to what what was, was your Thompson? name? Okay. That's Aesthetics? a beautiful name. No. Hannah I mean, Thompson? It That's is like so... a character in a book. Yeah, so first of all, it's a massive logistical headache to change your name. Yeah, Did no, you change it is. your name? No. no and okay. I I like you're going to have to drag me to change it because it's so difficult. Yeah, so it's a big logistical headache. It's mm-hmm. annoying. I do not have a relationship with my dad. And so I never felt like right. tied to that name. I, I, when I was like applying, not to the school I went to, but I, I applied to Northeastern when I was applying to school and I called mm-hmm. to like confirm that my applications were all finished or like was everything was turned in. Yeah, And they were like, I was like, it's Hannah Thompson. And they were like, we have 36 Hannah Thompsons. Oh my God. That had just like applied. And it was, it yeah, wasn't early I guess decision. I believe that. And yeah. so, it was a very normal name. I changed it based on aesthetics. I decided to change it to Hannah Stella because I thought it was a cooler name. Right. And then also I hadn't been working. And what I had was like sort of a social media presence. And I'm I'm a writer now. I write a substack and I'm working on a memoir and then another fiction book. And I I felt like I like the name Hannah Stella better just as a an aesthetic than Hannah Thompson. Yeah. And I felt like, you know, I'm known to the extent that I'm known as Hannah Stella. And right. like changing it, I'm never going to be able to get the usernames Hannah Thompson. Yeah, yeah. And I have Hannah Stella on right. everything. So might as well keep it. Does your ex have any opinion on that or does um, it really matter? I didn't ask him. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah. it's my it's my name. Yeah, it's your life. Yeah. Would you ever get married again? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Would you change your name again? I would. I would. I mean, yeah. I, 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 I think I have to. <laughs> right. I, <don't> <laughs> I, I never even imagine. thought about that. Like, I can't imagine uh-huh. that like, it would be so chill. I think it depends sort of. I will certainly change it 
legally again and socially. I think it sort of depends where my career goes, if it makes sense to professionally, you know, if I've like, Lord willing, written like books that are successful. Yeah. And if published those under the name Hannah Stella, I would probably hope that whoever I marry would be understanding if that like yeah. professionally of that's course. my name. But yeah, I, I think you have to change. You can't have it. Yeah, you'd have yeah. to change it. Yeah. Nobody's that chill. Right. <laughs> um, okay. This is my last question about that relationship. And then I want to talk dating post divorce. And it's okay. It's if you don't want to answer this, I get it. People ask me all the time and I do answer it on the podcast. The question is, did you have a prenup? And if you got married again, would you have a prenup? I'll tell you right now that we did not have a prenup. I did not have a prenup. Mm -hmm. I am like sort of, I I don't think that things would have been super different if I'd had one or not. I, I, I have always been in the camp that it matters much less than people think that it does. Mm -hmm. I'm not a lawyer, but it doesn't work that when you get married that day, even in community property states that you own all of the other person's stuff. That's just not how it works. I would not insist upon one, but I also would not be opposed to signing something Mm -hmm. that I felt was fair. Right. But if I felt that it was like at all unfair, I would not get married over, over signing something that I didn't think was, was reasonable. Yeah. Let's talk dating post-divorce. Have you dated since, since it happened? Yeah. I, I, had a boyfriend for a while who I started dating pretty quickly after my ex and I separated. He is a really nice guy. I had always felt so the very short version of what happened is that I'd known him and some other people in South Africa for a long time. And my grandparents had lived in Cape Town. My, my grandfather was a physician or a surgeon and he did a fellowship in Cape Town and they like loved it and felt very, very connected to South Africa. And my, I was very, very close to my grandparents. I'm named, my middle name is Dale, which is my granddad's name. And we were just always really close. And in many ways, they, I did not grow up living with them, but in many ways, they kind of raised me. Mm-hmm. And during this like transitional period in my life, I really wanted to go to South Africa because they're both dead. And I just felt like it would be a good connection. So I went because I knew my ex-boyfriend and some some other people there. I have actually, I had like 10 or 12 friends that I knew mm-hmm. there. And so I went there and he and I started dating very, very quickly. I think, you know, I knew I had a crush on him. And I, I think that when a relationship, a long-term relationship is ending, you you realize it's over long before right. it's over. That's true. And so he and I started dating and then we were, I was, I was living on a, a sailing catamaran in the Bahamas and we were on it together. And for many reasons, it was just not the lifestyle for either of us. It was really, really cool as an experience, but I thought it was going to be like kind of being on vacation all the time. And it's, very similar to like van life. And I'm not a van life girl. Like I just am not. (laughs) Um, And so we decided to move off of the boat. And then since I've been back in New York, I've dated a little bit and I, it's been fun. It's been over. I was on apps for like a little bit and then Mm -hmm. I deleted them because it was like, this is so, it's so many people. It's a lot. It's like 
it's like thousands and thousands right. of people. Yeah. No, there's a lot of people in New York, especially on the dating apps. But I have to ask, like, when would you bring up like that you've been divorced? Do you think it's a first date thing? Do you think it's a third date thing? Like, and by the way, this is assuming that nobody knows anything about you on these dates when you go. I don't think I would, I think it would just come up. It's Mm -hmm. the, the few first dates I've been on, it's come up or it's come up before. I don't, yeah, I, if it didn't come up on a first date, I wouldn't feel like a moral obligation to say I'm divorced, especially because to me, almost everybody who's in their thirties has had some sort of a long-term relationship. And Mm -hmm. actually to me, if I went out with a guy and he'd never been in a relationship that was like more than six months, that would be so much more of a red flag than a divorce. Mm -hmm. And to an extent Though it's very different, I I just think that when you're dating in your 30s, you expect everybody to have some what of a past, and so I don't feel I don't feel like it's like an albatross. I don't know. I don't yeah. feel like it's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, it's a big deal. No, personally, but, I, but like from I a, feel you. I don't either. I think like having talking about having kids is like you know if you have kids, you should say that early on. If, if that's not something that you should hide, I don't think. No, I think if you have children, you should not go on a first date with somebody who does not know you have children. Right. I mean, if you like meet somebody out, at happy yeah, hour, yeah, you yeah, end yeah, up having yeah, dinner. Yeah. Like you don't need to yeah, be like, that's before the salmon. Like. Right, right, right. <laughs> so I'm curious if it were up to you and you were choosing your next partner, like out of, you know, picking the things that you would like, would you want them to also be divorced? Like, for example, I'm sober, but I don't want to date someone. I'm married, obviously, but I don't want to date. I wouldn't have wanted to marry someone else who's sober. I just like, you know, it's my thing. Like, I don't it doesn't need to be their thing. Obviously, being sober is different than being divorced. But do you want to date someone ideally who's like been through something similar to you or you would prefer to date someone who, let's say, would be marrying for the first time if you were to get married? I have no real preference. I would say, I think that, I don't know, people will probably say that this is a double standard, but I think that men who have been divorced either learn a whole lot or learn literally nothing. And there's a reason that everybody gets divorced. And my belief is that even in circumstances where there's, some sort of an incident that triggers the divorce, that that incident was at least 90% of the time symptomatic of other things that were happening in the relationship. Mm. Like, I, I think that it's it's not, I've never from like my good friends, you know, you hear stories of like one day the husband just went out for milk and then never came home. I, I've never heard a story where that was actually like, it's a shock, but but it's not really a shock. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, It's like a friend once told me a story about how like, you know, this is like a old wives tale type of story, but like somebody came, uh, the wife came home or sorry, the husband came home and the wife was cooking lamb chops and she like overcooked the lamb chops and he takes the lamb chops and he throws them against the wall and he's like, I'm done. And he leaves her. And it's like, it's not about the lamb chops. Like they're obviously, they didn't leave you because the lamb chops were overcooked. There were issues there. Not that it's this woman's fault. It could be totally his fault, but 
that's not it's not about the lamb chops. Right. Exactly. I think outside of cases of like serious abuse and kind of very serious personal issues that one person has, I don't think there's such thing as relationship problems that are one person's fault. I think Mm. that sometimes it's 90, 10, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's possible that you, one is a perfect partner and that everything that's going on wrong in the relationship is the other person's fault. Well, so I agree with you and I disagree because I think that it's true. However, I guess there are just two people that aren't a match sometimes. So there could be one person in the relationship who's doing all the right things, like who's working on themselves in therapy, who is like showing up and, you know, doing all the things they said they would do in the vows or like whatever it is. Right. And if the other person is like not either not doing anything or also doing their best and it's just not a fit, you know? So like there's always, it's a gray area there. I feel like. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you about that. But then I would say, even if you're having issues in a way, if there's like a fundamental incompatibility, that's sort of no one's fault, even if it's not. Right. I don't know. No, no, you're right. Yeah. I I don't think it's I I don't think a breakup is one like person's fault ever. Yeah. I think it's like a series of things not aligning between two people. But I don't know. Like there are some situations where I feel like I feel like I have a friend who like does everything, bends over backwards, like for her partner. And I feel like if their relationship were to dissolve, like it would 100% be his fault. You yeah, know what I mean? I do. And I, I think I actually come at it from the perspective of having the inclination to be a lot like your friend and being like, wait, like, what am I doing wrong? Mm-hmm. And I think for myself, I don't, I don't know your friend, Mm -hmm. but I think that a lot of us who are inclined to kind of do everything for our partners, I would never call myself an empath. I'd sooner die. But is it a bad thing to be an empath? I feel like people online who are like, I'm an empath are, it's not bad to be an empath. I feel like it's bad to identify Yeah, It's like saying you're a vegan. (laughs) But I think that people who tend to do all of those things for their partners tend to be very, very good at reading people's emotions and understanding their motivations and kind of working through people's mentalities for them to be supportive partners. And I think that makes you a wonderful partner. I think that, and this is not about your friend. This is about, this is something that actually I was trying to sleep the other night and I ended up like journaling about. But I I think that that is very much how I am. And I, I think I realized very recently that I... I'm not communicative enough about my needs because it's very easy for me to see what somebody else needs. Mm. And I think that I would have been a better partner in both of my two most recent relationships had I been more vocal about what I wanted, even though to me it was obvious that what I wanted and it was also obvious that they should be doing it without me saying anything because I was doing so much without them saying anything right that's actually such a good point and like part of every kind of work that you can do on yourself is like you always have to find your part no matter Mm -hmm. what like even when you know you're resentful of someone because they did something well like what did you what what's your part you know and I think that that's actually a really good takeaway is like even let's say in my friend's situation like what's her 
problem being with this guy like that's the, you know why is she with him like maybe that's a question that she has to ask her. so it's like there's always something that you can exactly that's, that's find my point. that you yeah. can fix because at the end of the day you're the only feeling person you can control is yourself anyway so yeah exactly like I'm very like pick your battles and then I'm like well maybe Hannah you need to pick some battles right like, maybe pick right. one battle one time right because right. otherwise you just like kind of get very resentful and explode. And it's not like any one thing mm-hmm. led you there. I don't know. But to answer the question about divorced men, I think that from my like being on apps and talking to people and stuff, it, it seems immediately clear to me that men who get divorced either go, oh, wow, that's horrible. I don't want that to happen again and do a lot of work on themselves and have a lot of insight into the things that they did wrong in their marriage or they have absolutely zero insight into the things that they did wrong in their marriage. And I do think that on average, women are taught from a very young age how to be good partners. And men, I don't think are taught that. Mm -hmm. And so I find it to be a big red flag if a guy thinks that the dissolution of his marriage was entirely his ex-wife's fault because it seems almost impossible to me. Right. Unless there's like something very acute. Totally. So it's more about what your now today outlook is on the fact that you have gotten divorced as a man. Like if you are like, it didn't work out. It was sad. Like I have so much respect for her. Like I wish, you know, it had, but it didn't type of thing versus like my ex-wife was a bitch, you know, like you don't want that. Exactly. Okay, I have one more question and then we're going to do some rapid fire poll questions, which okay. are very chill and just, <laughs> and just silly. Um, okay, so a few people actually wrote in this question and I don't know how you're going to feel about it. You're either going to love it or hate it. But a few people were like, she sometimes reminds me of Caroline Calloway. So I have to ask you if you've ever gotten that before and like, are you with it or hate it? I have no opinion. I mean, she's like, she's like a, big time scammer, right? Yes. But like, that's not like, I think she also just like is, she's a writer and like, she's, you know, lives in New York and like romanticized it. And I think it's for those reasons. I don't think anyone's calling you a scammer by any means. Yeah. I don't know. I, um, Caroline Calloway, like when I first started TikTok, wanted to like have lunch and I was like, oh, I've like heard of this person. And like, I know she's like interesting and I'm very, I'll do anything if I think it'll be interesting, which right, no right. offense to Caroline Calloway, but I didn't know much about her. I followed sure, her, sure. but like passively. Mm-hmm. And then she completely ghosted me. No. yeah, She was like, oh yeah, I think she even, I think we even, it was, it was years ago. So I don't exactly remember, but I think we even like set a time and then she just oh, never I, answered any by of the texts. I believe that 1000%. And I have also been ghosted by Caroline Calloway before. So that checks out 100,000%. Yeah, but I don't I don't think I follow her closely enough to have to feel offended or honored or or anything. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, some rapid fire. Your significant other of 2 years has never posted you on social media and you know that he's posted girlfriends in the past. Is that sus or not sus? I think it's something you can ask about, but I don't think it's inherently sus, especially I think that a lot of the time people are just like, oh, I realized I don't want to post my significant other on social media and it's Mm. not about you. I think it's kind of sus if he's like, I just think it's sus if a man like posts on social media a lot. Yeah, I agree. Because if you're going to post on social media a lot, but you're not going to post your significant other, that's 
that's us. Mm -hmm. Especially, I think also, I always come at it from the point of view of like, it's our job and like people are like, I don't think that I will post my next person I'm dating because I don't want him to go through what happens when I post him. Yeah. But most men don't have that as a right. as a right concern. as a thing. Yeah. And so probably sus. Yeah, agreed. Red flag, deal breaker, or no big deal. You hook up with a guy who actively uses a nightlight and can't sleep without it. No big deal. Mm-hmm. What's worse for your child? Feeding them strictly healthy food, like no carbs, sugar, junk, or letting them have as much junk as possible. It's strictly healthy food's much worse. Yeah, agreed. That'll fuck you up for life. Yeah, that's really bad. <laughs> okay. Do you think it's rude or inconvenient when couples schedule their wedding over a holiday weekend? Yes or no? It's so hard for me to do it. For. <laughs> no, I don't. I agree. I mean, it's like, it's not ideal because it's probably more expensive, but I don't think it's rude and inconsiderate. I think it's the date that they they could get from the menu. Yeah, I think so. I also think it's just a matter of like, know your friends and know the people you're inviting. Right, right. Okay, you're dating a guy almost two months. You're both newly single. You see each other one to two times a week and he texts you all day, but he says he wants to take it slow and get to know each other until the fall. Stick with it or run. I would run. Yeah, me too. I don't like like those limitations. Yeah, and also like what's happening between now and the fall? Like you're going to just fuck around because it's summer, obviously, you know. I do not want to get to know a man over text. I don't want to yeah. have long phone calls with a man. Like I talk to my best friend on the phone for like four or five hours a day. I don't have time to like. Yeah. Do you think there's anyone that you really fucked up post breakup? Like someone that you scarred for whatever reason and made it hard for them to date after you for a while? I mean, I think I think my work has made it very difficult for my ex-husband to date, which I have a lot of guilt about. Mm-hmm. And I did date one guy for a while that when we broke up, I think he had a lot going on, but he like quit his corporate job and became a Bikram yoga instructor for a while. Oh. So maybe, maybe he had some wow. trauma. He definitely had some drama. <laughs> That screams trauma. A guy that your best friend went on a couple of dates with, but still brings up once in a while, asked you to drinks. Turned You turned it down, though, because you're a good friend. But do you have to tell your friend that this happened? I think you have to just know your friends. Some friends you need to tell and some friends you need to not tell any friends so that yeah. they never find out about it. So this is from the Vanderpump Rules finale la- or reunion last night, which I don't know if you watch, but you'll still be able to answer. How often do you have sex with a t-shirt on? Often, sometimes, or never? Personally? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not making a normative statement. No, no, no. no. You, okay. you, you. Oh, never. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess very occasionally, but never. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I love it. Hannah, this was so fun. Can you leave us with a quote or a piece of advice, something that has helped you throughout your years? Yeah, I always say that you can have anything you want, but you can't have everything you want. Love it. Where can everybody find you, follow you, hopefully read your writing and all the things? Yeah, I'm Hannah Stella on every platform. Moxie is my Substack. It's hannahstella.substack.com. And I also have a podcast called Sense and Sensitivity with Cece. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.
Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.